This morning, in addition to um, celebrating baptism and gathering around the table together uh, for communion, we, uh, we are entering into a new series, um, a vision series. Uh, we're calling that because this week what I want to do is I want to introduce to you um, what I think the Lord is doing and the way he is leading us forward as, uh, as a community, as Church of the Apostles. And so today we're going to kind of kick that series off, but over the next five or six weeks, I want to encourage you to be here uh, because we're really going to press into this, uh, this vision, this way of life, I think, that God has laid out before us together as a community. Um, over the past six months, I would say that God has had me on a, uh, a personal journey uh, that really has surprised me almost constantly. Um, and it, it began, as many of you know, with the shock to our system that God was calling us out of North Carolina and to come to Houston, Texas. Uh, add on to that the shock of actually coming two weeks before Harvey. And so just entering into life here was, um, was always exciting <laughs> from the get-go. Uh, it's been no, nothing boring about what God's been doing in our life. Uh, and what's been exciting is that that's continued. That, uh, that has continued for me and for our family uh, over the past six months. And so I just wanted to share with you a little bit about what I mean when I talk about this journey uh, forward with the Lord in this season of life. Um, and I think one of the, the best places to kind of help uh, give you a sense of that uh, is what I would say is kind of a, a, a linchpin uh, or a pivotal point in this journey for, for me. And it, I, I've shared before how I uh, went out to Los Angeles. This was back in October to visit a friend of mine named Gare Jones and uh, took a few members of Church of the Apostles. And we went out there. And the reason we went out there is because we wanted to check out this ministry called Alpha. And I've shared a little bit more uh, about Alpha and we'll continue to talk about that uh, as we go into the summer and the fall. But we went out there to check out this thing called, called Alpha. And Alpha, just to give you a quick definition, is basically uh, this series of dinner conversations where you get together and you talk about the big questions of life with people who otherwise would not be interested in kind of coming to church, people who um, are all over the place on their spiritual journey. And so what they, they do is they do dinner and then they watch a short film and then they have the opportunity to discuss it afterwards. And what really got my attention was uh, not just that, that's pretty simple, uh, dinner, discussion, this film in between. Uh, what got my attention was that um, in talking to Gare, I discovered that hundreds of people were coming to faith in Jesus through this ministry called Alpha in Los Angeles, California. Millennials primarily, people in their 20s were coming to faith in Jesus by the hundreds through what God was doing at this church called Vintage and this ministry called Alpha. And so I was curious, I wanted to find out what's going on there um, because that did not fit any paradigm I kind of had for, uh, for ministry and how Alpha would work. And so we went out there, that was kind of what my agenda was. God had a totally different agenda, I think, in taking us out there. And when we got there, what we saw was Alpha in action. We saw um, this group of 100, 200 people kind of gathered together. They had dinner, they watched this film, they discussed and as I watched this, I watched atheists and agnostics and Buddhists and Muslim people wounded by the church all gathering in this place and hearing about Jesus and his love for them and the life that he offered them. And it was incredible. And Alpha was done really well. But at the end of it, I remember thinking, all that's good and all that's really well done. 
And it's amazing. You can't deny the fruit. But I don't understand how this works. I don't understand. The way I thought about it is the math doesn't add up, <laughs> right? Because in the, in the scenario I was witnessing out there, it was two plus two equal four million, <laughs> not four. I didn't understand what I was seeing take place there. And so after coming back and thinking through it and praying through it and conversations with Gare, I decided I was going to go out and have another visit with Gare. So I went back out just so he and I could sit and talk. So I could really get a sense of what was going on behind the scenes that would lead to such radical life transformation in Jesus for hundreds of people. And so in conversations with Gare, um, basically what he did is he walked me through how everything worked top to bottom. And that's when I began to realize something really profound, that what makes Alpha work is God. <laughs> what makes Alpha work is God. Specifically, it was God through the gospel and a people committed to prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. That was God math. Those things added up to what was impossible any other way apart from God. Now, I say that embarrassingly, because you may be thinking, well, duh, right? I mean, you're a pastor, for crying out loud. How do you not get that? How do you not understand uh, that it would have to be God to do something like that, what you witnessed, changing hundreds, if not thousands of lives through something as simple as dinner, film, and conversation? And I, I admit that, because what I think was at the root of it was my pride, I think I was blinded by my pride. You see, I've had a seminary education. I have uh, some gifts. I'm an okay preacher. I'm pretty socially adept with people. I, I love to think through process and planning. I, I, I have a lot of things that I bring to the table. And the reality is you can do a lot with that formula I just laid out. You see it in churches all the time. Great personality, great programmings, charisma, gifts, all those things brought to bear to build a church. And I say it was my pride because I thought that was the formula. I thought that was it. And so I went to L.A. looking for that kind of formula. And what God showed me was something completely different. And the reality is I began to be convicted of the fact that you can do a lot of harm to your soul and a lot of harm to your flock if that is your formula for how to do church, for how to be the church. And so I confess that before the Lord. And I have been learning how to let go of a lot of those things before the Lord in this season. And what I've realized, I think, is that this is not only life-changing for me, but it's life-changing, I think, for our church. Um, that we don't need a catchy vision. <laughs> that we don't need some awesome slogan that's just going to like blow people's uh, minds away when they see it on our website. We don't need some incredible programs. What we need is God. We need God. And we need to do, I think, as a community, some serious soul searching about what it means to be a people whose lives together are radically oriented around God. As I've been pressing into this and asking God to teach me, 
the way forward for us. One of the things that I've kind of encountered is um, something that I may have known or heard at some point, but really caught my attention this time. Do you know what the earliest Christians were actually called? The way they were described. They weren't actually called Christians uh, initially. They were actually called followers of the way. The way. You'll see it sometimes in your New Testament. It's capitalized, big W, way. They were followers of the way. In the Greek, the way is the word hodos, hodos. Can you all say that with me? Hodos. Yeah, it's fun to learn Greek. So now you can press your family and friends. Hodos. Hodos means road, path, journey that you take. But over time, way, this hodos, this path or journey, became like this word picture, right? This word picture for a journey that you would go on, uh, that you would take into maturity, into the fullness of life, specifically the life that Jesus offered. Became the way, followers of the way. And so this idea of the way is all over the Gospels, all over the New Testament. I just want to give you a few examples up on the screen here. I'm going to move through these real quick. But I just wanted you to see that this is in the New Testament. So this is from Acts. But Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, the hodos, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Next one. But when someone became stubborn, when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. About that time, there arose, how about this, Star Wars fans, a great disturbance about the way. Isn't that awesome? All right, I think, is that the last one or we got one more? I persecuted followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. However, I admit that I worship the God, this is Paul before Felix, the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. The way. Now, I bring this up um, for this simple reason. I'm convinced that we as the church have lost something. That we've lost this very important idea that's captured here in this understanding of the people of God, the followers of Jesus, as a part of the way. Um, the way is exactly what it sounds like. The way of Jesus, in other words, is a way of life. It's a way of life. It's a way of living, again, with God, of orienting your entire life around God himself. And I think that's important to, to point out because I think along the way, we in the church, especially in our American culture, one of the things that's happened is that we've misunderstood, I think, what the Christian life is actually all about. See, the Christian life is not about a set of ideas that we believe, not just that, not just the Bible, not just theology. Those things matter. Those things are critical, but it's not just that. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's not just ethics. It includes that, but it's more than that. It's not just about getting to heaven when you die. It's not just about making the world a better place. It includes all these things, but it includes all these things for the exact reason that Jesus is offering us a way, a way of life. You see, Jesus made an audacious claim. He made a lot of audacious claims. One of the most audacious claims I think that we often overlook is that he and he alone could offer us life, 
life, real life. Listen to these words from uh, John. Jesus said, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The life. See, Jesus makes life, all caps, life, possible through his death and his resurrection, and he leads us into, he invites us into, and then empowers us to live this life in his kingdom by his spirit. He invites us into life. And so the question becomes, well, how do we live this life? How do we have this life that Jesus has on offer to us? In the Gospel of John, he basically says that the way we have this uh, life is through belief or through faith. The other gospel writers talk about the fact that we follow him, and they mean similar ideas. Unfortunately, I think for us, the word belief has come to mean different things than what it means in the New Testament. For example, I think we can look at the word believe, and we can use it to mean that we agree with something, that we would affirm something, or maybe that we hope in something. So you might affirm or believe that the earth is round. Yes, I believe the earth is round, right? Or you may believe the Astros are going to win the World Series again this year. You believe, you hope, you hold that out, right? So we use believe in all kinds of ways. But I think in the New Testament, what we have to recover is this idea that belief is not just mere agreement. It's not just hope. It's this idea of putting your trust completely in and committing your whole life, namely to Jesus, It isn't something, in other words, that you just add on to your life. It becomes your life. It becomes everything to you. Believing in Jesus ushers us into new life, life to the full. And the experience, experiencing this life is exactly what he longs for us. Life by him and life in him and life for him. That's what he offers us. And so that's why Jesus, at the beginning, just as we read in Mark chapter 1 of his ministry, he invites these disciples to follow him, to become his followers, to enter into this way of life. And so he says, come follow me. Come follow me into this way of life. And the reality is that Jesus does the same thing for us today. He extends this invitation for us to believe, for us to come and to follow him. Now in Jesus' day, when he said follow me, it was an invitation to what we today would call discipleship. I think a better word, a more helpful word might be apprenticeship. Jesus invites us into this entire life endeavor called apprenticeship. In other words, it's not just something that you would do one morning a week. It's not something you would do for 15 or 30 minutes uh, to begin your day or to gather in a small group. It's a whole life thing. Your whole life would be oriented around following your teacher or your rabbi, following Jesus. That's the idea of apprenticeship. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I think you can boil down this entire uh, idea of apprenticeship into three concepts. To be with Jesus to become like Jesus, 
and to do what Jesus did. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and then to do what Jesus did. And so real quick, I want to give an explanation of what we mean when we say that. Um, And then I want to, over the next few weeks, I want us to press into that more deeply. What it means to be, become, and to do. So first, be with Jesus. This is what Jesus called abiding in John 15. Abiding. It's what Paul describes as being in prayer constantly or continuously. It's the idea that we cultivate an awareness of God's presence in our lives. Uh, Dallas Willard has this great picture, I think, that he gives of this um, and talking about Jesus as the true north to which our lives always return, like a compass, always returning back to the presence of God in our lives. And so being with Jesus means knowing that Jesus is with you, that he's with you on your commute to work, that he's with you that morning when you wake up. The first thing that you think in your mind is God is here. It's this idea, this belief that you can experience God through the power of his Holy Spirit, through the personal presence of his Spirit in every facet of life, not just in holy places or not just when you're focused on doing holy things, but all the time that God is with us. And I think the reality is we don't mean to do this, but we skip this. We skip over this unintentionally. This reality, we jump to studying about Jesus or to asking Jesus to do things for us or to doing things for God, which are all great. Those are all good things. What we do matters. But the first and most important step for any follower of Jesus is to be with Jesus. So we need to take time and ask ourselves, are we people who know how to be with Jesus. Our lives, I think, are so busy. My life can get so busy, even with doing like spiritual things, right? So busy that I just skip over this. And I think we have lost this sense and we need to recover the sense of learning what it means to be with Jesus. So that's the first, be with Jesus. The second, become like Jesus. We are all becoming like Jesus something. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way. We are all being shaped by the things in our life. We're all becoming something. In other words, it's not a question of will we follow. It's a, it's a matter of who or what will we follow. Does that make sense? C.S. Lewis has this, um, I think, really insightful, insightful and incise. I don't know what the word I want to use there. He cuts to it. Um, C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. He says, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature either into a creature that's at harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it's a joy, it's peace, it's knowledge, it's power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us, at each moment is progressing to one state or the other. 
See, Lewis, I think, puts his finger on something that's hard for us to acknowledge. That we really don't want to admit. And it's this, that we are being shaped by the things in our life. The choices we make. The things that we do. The habits that we cultivate. We're being shaped into something. For example, a recent study revealed that the average smartphone user touches his phone 2,700 times a day. Just let that sink in. 27, it's actually 2,716 was the estimate. Touch equal type, tap, or swipe. If you're younger, that number goes up significantly. That's the average, 5,000 touches per day. Another study suggests Americans spend an average of five hours a day engaged with their phone. Five hours a day. People, I think, we are experiencing an age, a generation of anxiety and stress because we're being shaped. There's a term for this. I've, been, I've started seeing it in, in articles. It's called um, technology addiction. Have you heard this phrase? Talking about this reality in our lives. And I bring that up because it's true. We are all being shaped by the things in our life. And the question then is, will we be intentional about whether or not that is Christ? Who is the person you're becoming? Are you more like Jesus today than you were a year ago? When you come to the end of your life, what will be the measure of a life well lived? How much you made, how many followers you had online, how beautiful your house looks. What will be the measure of a life well lived? Will it be that your life looked more and more and more like Jesus? That your relationships were shaped because you became more and more like Jesus? See, through the practices, through the disciplines, through the habits and rhythms, through the things that we are becoming, that's who we will be. And so we want to become people like Jesus in community by the power of the Holy Spirit who transforms us into the likeness of Jesus. Finally, do what he did. Be with him, become like him, do what he did. So if you're an apprentice, for example, to an electrician, your goal is eventually not just to know everything he's done and practice everything he's done, but to go and do what you've been taught as an electrician, to go and wire a house, right? That's the goal of your apprenticeship. And I would say there's a similar reality. The goal of our apprenticeship to Jesus is that we would go and do what Jesus did. It makes sense, right? And the question then was, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Well, If you look at the Gospels, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He prayed. He prophesied. He taught. He ate with people far from God. He sought justice in the world. He served the poor. That's what we're called to do. We're called to do the things that Jesus did. As his apprentices, he is forming and shaping us and then sending us out. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Apostolos. That's who we are. That's our name. Those who have been with Jesus and become like him and then are sent out into the world to do what he did. 
And so the goal is not just to gather here and talk about how awesome Jesus is and encourage each other in that and sing to Jesus. We should do that. We must do that because we want to do that. But we should also be people who go out into the world, sent out to do the things that Jesus did by the power of his spirit. And so the things that he's commanded us to do, he equips us to do and he empowers us to do. And so we go and we do the things that Jesus did. So be with, become like, and do what Jesus did. This is what it means to follow Jesus, to organize your life around the way of Jesus. Now, it's not sensational, right? It's not super catchy, but I think it's profound. I think the reality is if we were to orient our life this way, it would radically change each of us and this community. That we would experience life, all caps, life in Jesus. This is not about trying harder. This is not about doing more. This is not about us. This is about God and letting God be God of our lives. Seeing his kingdom come in our lives. It's letting God shape not just our Sunday mornings or our Wednesday nights or our time with him in the morning, but our whole lives, our whole families, our whole neighborhoods, our whole city. I'm convinced that if we do this, God will change us. God will change our church. God will change our lives. And we will see things. We will see things we never thought we could see that we never would have been able to do on ourselves. Uh, God math will break out in this church. We will see physical and emotional and spiritual healing. We'll hear words from the Lord and God will fill this place with his spirit. Not because we're chasing signs, not because we're after wonders, not because we want to validate our faith, but because we have been with Jesus and we become like Jesus, and we're doing the things that Jesus did. I think we'll find peace, the peace we long for, the peace that we want, the courage, the joy, the life that we want, not anxiety-filled, addiction-riddled lives, but lives that have peace and shalom, the wholeness of God. And not because we willed ourselves to overcome these things, but because we've been with Jesus, and we're becoming like Jesus, and we're gonna do the things that Jesus did that we'll see the unwanted, forgotten children of our city loved, welcomed into this church family, not because we're good people doing good things, but because we've been with Jesus, because we're becoming like Jesus, because we're doing the things that Jesus did, and that we will see the people in our lives that we long to know this Jesus, come to know him and know life in him, not because of Alpha, not because we have the answers, but because we have been with him and become like him and because we are doing the things that he did. This is who Jesus is calling us to be. This is who Jesus is calling us to be, a community following Jesus in Houston, that we would be with him and become like him and do what he did. I am excited about entering into this. It is simple, it is profound, it is big enough to live into for a lifetime. And I think God will transform us in our church if we press into this in faith. I wanna share one last thing. And I've, I've been 
wrestling with whether or not just to share this because I really, in all honesty, I was trying to discern, is this a word for me or is this a word for a church? And what I came to the conclusion is, is it's a word for both. Um, a few months ago, I received what I can only describe as a, a vision or a picture from God. Now, I know as soon as I sound, say that out loud, some of you are like, he's crazy. <laughs> and I would have agreed with you if it had not happened to me. You see, a total stranger prayed over me a few months ago, and as she prayed, she said, God's given me this picture over your life. And she said, this is the picture. God's given me a picture of this huge bowl, and it's this bowl of fruit, this huge bowl of sweet fruit, and what's happening is God is pouring it out over your head, and it's just pouring down all over you. Now that in and of itself, in all honesty, I would have probably dismissed, but God, by his grace, knew that. And that's why he gave me that vision, that picture, that word from this woman. And the reason I know it was from the Lord is this. There's only been one other time in my entire life where someone prayed over me and got a picture, a word from the Lord, and gave it to me that way. And it was when we were living in Tanzania and Langley and I were going through a really hard time. So this is 2007. And the picture that was given to me was that over my head was this giant bowl of fruit. And that God was going to pour out this sweet fruit over me. Now, just in total honesty... I went to someone else, a friend of mine, and I said, look, is this in some book somewhere where like the bowl of fruit thing is like a thing you go to, like, you know, and I just happened to bump into two people who have read the same book. I mean, I was that much of a hard case before the Lord. And God, again, in his grace, made me realize that that is not, like he was so trying to make this clear, that he had given this picture. And this is why I think this is for all of us, not just for me. You see, I am convinced that that is a picture of what God wants to do at Apostles. That this picture of this sweet fruit is, is what God wants to pour out over this community. All the blessing, all the gifts, all the goodness, all the life, the full, I mean, can you think of a more perfect picture of the fullness of life in Jesus than this beautiful picture, this cornucopia of fruit? of life, of vibrancy, of wholeness, of health. And I think that's a word for our church, that God is going to do something through his spirit. He's going to pour it out over us because, again, it's not what we're going to do. It's what God is going to give and what God is going to pour out over us as his people. And so I think living into this, that's what it's going to be like. It's gonna be the most incredible adventure of our lives. It's gonna be the most challenging thing we have ever done. It will have highs, it will have lows, it will not be easy. It will not be our, everything we've ever dreamed of in life experience, but it will be life with God and it will be good and what he wants to pour out over us as his people.